Amen. Um, I'll just uh, dismiss the kiddos to head to the back. Our school-aged kids can head to the back and follow uh, Miss Tracy, I guess. Miss Beth back there. It's always funny we do that because like half our, half our crowd leaves at that moment. Uh, I'd invite the rest of you to open your uh, Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Um, and I don't say this very often, but if you brought something to take notes, this would be one of those sermons where there are lots of notes. Um, and uh, when, we, when we work through thematically a book like Proverbs, um, you're covering so many scriptures that, that speak on one specific subject. And so um, it's been a joy. Maybe you've taken me up on the challenge this past week to start reading through the book of Proverbs. Maybe you've done that as part of your practice. I encourage you to do that. Um, pretty simple uh, read. Sometimes just a chapter a day, um, you kind of lose some focus of what exactly is going on here. But if you'll continue to do that, I think you'll see some major themes that, are, um, that the author of Proverbs will focus in on and that we'll be talking about here. Um, we're going to take a break, as I said, next week. Um, and kind of just, so next week is more of a vision. Hey, this is the heartbeat of our church, um, doing the, accomplishing the mission of God um, in community. Um, and so uh, we'll take a break from Proverbs next week for that, and then we'll get back to it. But this has been a joy. This is kind of, uh, I feel the uh, sabbatical uh, rust wearing off of me a little bit. It was a joy to be in the text this week and studying um, and so I want to pray for us before we really jump in. And this is not one of those prayers as a transition into something else. If you could take just a second and pray and ask God to speak to you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're dealing with, whether it's uh, uh, sin that you're covering up, whether you're just weary and beat down from just a tough uh, week, whether you've got things going on all over. He knows where you're at. He tells us that if we seek him, then we'll find him. So would you pray just for a minute? Would you ask God, the creator of the universe, if he would speak to you very clearly today? Father, what a privilege it is to... Um, Boldly enter your throne room, not based upon any of our own accomplishments, whether we feel weak or powerful this morning, doesn't matter. We enter because of the access we have through your son Jesus. We pray, um, Father, that you would speak to us, the Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the face of Jesus for us as we walk through the book of Proverbs today, that you would make your word come alive to us so that this is just not a routine that um, we've added to our schedule, but this is an, is an encounter with a holy and mighty and awesome God. We pray the words of the song that we just sing. Lord, it is our desire for all the earth to declare that you're great. It is our desire on this side of heaven, Father, we would love to see such a work and move of you where all the earth is crying out and praising your name in one unified voice. And Lord, if not that, we pray that we would see a movement of you here among us and in our cities and in our country. That people wouldn't live to exalt themselves, but they would humble themselves and they would exalt you. Lord, help us to see that. In our day, it's in your name that we pray, amen. We started this series in the book of Proverbs uh, last week, I think, right? Yeah, last week. And I want to just recap a few of the introductory notes that we covered. I think this will help us as we get through. The Proverbs was written mostly by King Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. Shortly after he took the throne uh, as a king... He was still a young man. First Kings chapter 3 records that God appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked Solomon what he would like the Lord to bless him with. Solomon asked for wisdom, specifically knowledge and understanding, so that he could be a good king and lead his people in the right way. A very humble response. He said, listen, this is overwhelming to me. I don't know if I can do this on my own. Actually, I'm pretty sure I can't. God, would you give me knowledge and understanding? 
And God was so pleased with this request that he gave Solomon not only wisdom, what he asked for, but also wealth and honor. I studied this week of just all the wealth and honor that uh, Solomon had, and it was, it was increasingly awesome. Um, basically, about $3.5 billion a year in today's money, uh, Solomon made every year just on his gold. He had so much money, he had so much wealth, incomparable to anyone that we would see in today's world. For decades, this is the life that Solomon lived. Wisdom, honor, and wealth. I actually had a few uh, uh, questions come in this week about King Solomon, knowing the demise of his life, if we should trust him in the book of Proverbs. So we trust the wisdom of Solomon, even though later on when we peek into his life, we see that he kind of really made a mess of things. Solomon would eventually not take his own advice in Proverbs 19.27. That's what it says. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. That there is a possibility, even for those of us in this room that seem to walk in wisdom or we desire to walk in wisdom or we pursue wisdom, there is a chance that if we cease to listen to wisdom, then we will eventually stray from the words of knowledge. And Solomon certainly did that. He didn't take his own advice. He disobeyed God. He found himself in a world of hurt, eventually leading to the splitting of Israel, of his two sons, and ultimately finding Israel in years of captivity. One author says, biblical scholar says, that Solomon hangs himself with his own noose. Tragically, Solomon failed to apply the law of God, and for this reason, the once wisest of men died a fool. And here's the lesson for us before we even get into it. The moment that you decide to stop learning the words of God and obeying them, you too will stray. Solomon quit listening to the words and the ways of God and he drifted way off course. He began to bow down to the idols of sex and money and power. And because of that, he and the people that he loved suffered the consequences of sin. Was Solomon perfect? No, far from it. And neither was any other biblical writer. That's part of the miracle of this whole thing, that God uses broken people to speak his message into a broken world. Jeremiah would use this picture of these broken clay pots carrying around this so valuable. So before we get too proud, even in this room, thinking that we're securely on the way of wisdom, we should pause for a second and we should understand that the way of wisdom comes with it, this attitude of humility. Solomon likely wrote the Song of Solomon first, this epic story of him falling in love, then the book of Proverbs, and then he went way off course, and I believe the book of Ecclesiastes he wrote at the very end of his life, likely as a book of repentance, actually ends that book with an exhortation to the wise to fear God and obey him. So the question is, can we still trust Proverbs? Of course. This is part of our biblical canon. It's God-breathed, Timothy tells us, just in the same way that the, uh, we view the rest of Scripture. However, we need to understand that this is wisdom literature. We need to understand that these sayings aren't written the same way that the law of God was written. And so we read it a little differently than we read the prophets or the words of Jesus. As Andrew Hill, a biblical scholar, wrote, the truisms of Proverbs are not absolute promises, but general principles based on careful observation of the human experience. For example, I think I have these on the screen. It says, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Or a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. These are true isms. These are generally true most times in most situations. That doesn't mean that there are sometimes exceptions. This is wisdom literature. It's very practical. It's not theoretical. We're not talking about the nature and character of God here. What we're doing is looking at life through the lens of a God who created us and created the world in a way that things generally work. Here's another example. It says in Proverbs 22.6, to train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, does that mean that if your kid has departed from the way that you raised them in the way of the Lord, that you were a terrible parent? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you failed God as a parent, not necessarily. So this statement is a truism. As a general rule, this biblical principle of reaping and sowing, most of the time, if you raise your children to fear the Lord, they will grow up to fear God as well. 
And we have these all throughout Scripture, even that very same principle of reaping and sowing. Like, you sow certain things and you eventually reap, but this doesn't take into account what if there's a drought. If a farmer plants a lot of seeds and it's a year of drought, then that, true, then that is a truism. It generally, you're not going to reap anything you don't sow. But also, as a general rule, that doesn't mean that this is a thus saith the Lord. Does that make sense? These are truisms that we can latch on to. It's generally true in most every area of life. And let me say, too, if your child is walking down a path of folly, don't ever stop praying for them. Never stop declaring the gospel and demonstrating what life looks like that is submitted to the Lord in joyful obedience. It says even in our scripture, we're going to look at in a minute, that wisdom calls out for them to turn from folly and to wisdom. And this is the beauty of the gospel. No matter how jacked up our lives are or how many dumb mistakes that we've made or what kind of situation we found ourselves in, wisdom is still crying out from the street. And at any moment, we could repent and turn back to the way of wisdom from the road or the way of folly. As we talked last week, the theme of this book is the way of wisdom. Wisdom is really boiled down into the four words that we talked about last week, knowledge and insight and prudence and discretion, meaning that I know how life works and I understand how it works and I know how to apply the truth and I know when to press into this truth. This is wisdom in life, adjusting your life to the physical, relational, and spiritual laws that are present in this life. God built this world, and there's a way that this world works, and that's the book of Proverbs. We also know that this book was written to the simple or to the young. Many times it says that we've got this image of a dad talking to his son and instructing the son, and this is what we're going to see in the next seven or eight chapters, this dad pleading with his son, listen, listen here. You're fixing to go into this crazy world, and there's going to be thousands of voices calling out to you and try to lure you off the right path. The father is not trying to get the son to make a wise decision, but to become wise, to become a wise person. One wise decision is not going to help a person out, but to walk in the way of wisdom, meaning that you're orienting your life with God in the center, understanding his supreme authority, and then you're making decisions based upon what he says is true. So this is the father pleading with the son. I talked uh, talked to a friend just this week who's Teenage daughter graduated from high school. She tried to raise this girl in the, in the way of the Lord as best I know. And she, of course she gets off in the college and she just forgets the way of wisdom and starts walking the path of folly just like this. Parents' hearts are broken. We'll see what happens. She got in college and she met a boy. And for her... Doesn't matter what the way of wisdom or all the things that my parents had taught me. I met a boy and he doesn't love the Lord and he's not pursuing the Lord and he doesn't even have a job and he's living with mom and borrowing a car and immediately she shifts everything in her life to follow him. And I heard that story and my heart was literally scared to death that, that you can pour your love and energy and wisdom and discipleship into your kids for 18 years and they go to college and meet a boy. So I already told my kids, do you don't even worry about boys. This, this not, don't worry about anybody else. Like you just do your thing, listen, and it just solidifies this, this responsibility to us as parents to, to disciple our kids, not, not, not to make little images of us, but in the ways of Jesus, that they would walk in wisdom. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, what Laurie read. It says in verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she's crying out. At the entrance of the city gate, she's speaking. And she's talking to three groups of people here. It says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? We really see in chapter one, we really see four groups of people. We see one group of people that's on the way of wisdom. These people are walking in wisdom. This is the wise. The father's calling the son to walk in the way of wisdom. But then we see the the path of folly. And we see three characters on this path of folly. We see the simple. We talked about this a little last week. We see the simple. We see the foolish. And we see the evil. Or here it says scoffers. It'll go back and forth using those Two names. 
First, I'm going to look at the wise person. This is what the call of the father to the son is. This is the call of God to us, is for us to be on the path of wisdom. You read through the book of Proverbs, and again, this is just a collection of things we find through the book of Proverbs and even in other passages, the book of Psalms, the book of James, as I've read through those even some this week. First, you see the wise person. The telltale sign that you're talking to a wise person first is that they're humble. They're clothed with humility. When pride comes, it says in chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The wise person is humble. They understand they don't know everything in this world. They understand they don't have it all figured out. They understand they have to listen to the right voices in right domains of society so that they can learn. They don't know it all. They're teachable. 12, chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Maybe a good question to see if you're in this group of, of the wise. How well do you take advice? When someone comes and wants to share a little tidbit of advice with you, or your immediate response, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. My kids do this a lot. They'll be struggling with something, trying to get this thing figured out. I think Hudson's probably the worst at it. And I'll say, Hudson, hey, bud, let, let dad help you. No, I got it, dad. I got it. 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 He'll actually say, I don't want you in this room anymore. He will say that exact word. Will you go back in the living room? I've got this in this room. I'll go in, listening. You hear some clattering. You hear him getting frustrated, stuff being thrown against the wall. It ends, and he's in this heap of mess, you know, weeping because he couldn't get the Paw Patrol tower, couldn't get the slide on it. He'd been trying and trying and trying. And sometimes I walk in and say, Hud, can daddy help you? And sometimes in his brokenness, he's like, please, this thing's broken. But sometimes he's so stubborn, even in that moment, he's like, dad, I don't want to see you right now. And I get it because I see that in my own heart. The very sin nature all of us have, we're not, we don't just love constructive criticism. We don't just love people to sit down and give us some advice. We're, most of us, just by nature, are not very teachable. But as God works in our heart, one of the things that he immediately begins to do is with humility, we become teachable people. The wise man listens to advice, it says in verse 15 of chapter 12. The wise man sees reality and accepts reality. I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. They take responsibility for their own life. They're committed to a lifestyle of learning. Proverbs 9.9 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. It's not just a teachable moment with a wise person, but the wise have a lifestyle of learning. They know that they're not going to get to some little plateau of maturity and now I can quit learning. Now I can quit opening up my heart and my life to other people. Now I can quit listening to advice. No, they have a lifestyle of learning. The wise have a high sense of empathy. Proverbs 29 talks about how the wise deal with poor and deal with the powerful. You bring a message of instruction to a wise person, what do they do? They receive it. It says in Proverbs 15, 31, an ear that listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Here we're not just getting instruction, we're getting life-giving rebukes. We have this culture in our, uh, among our pastors. Two or three times a year, we'll go, to a, uh, we'll go to a house outside of town, and we'll use this language. Give me the last 2%. Most of us are willing to be truthful for 98% of what we want to say, but it's that last 2% that's really going to sting that we're just going to just kind of gloss over and not talk about. And I need this in my own life, and we need this. So we go away to these things, and we say, well, what do you see in my life? And then we say, okay, give me the last 2%. Give me what you really see, what you really want to say. I came home one of the first times we did this, and Ashley said, well, how'd it go? And I said, well, here's the list of things I need to work on. She said, y'all talk about that? Yeah, we're pretty honest, because this is what it means to be a wise person, that you listen to life-giving rebukes. Listen, if you and your life do not have people 
that you have allowed inside. Now, you don't allow everyone into this. You guard your heart, as Proverbs says, absolutely. But there are a few select people that you've pointed out that these are wise people, and I'm going to give them access to my life, and I'm going to let them speak truth into my life. If you do not have that, let me promise you, you're not walking on the way of wisdom. Because you're just not there yet. None of us are there yet. We never get there. We always need people speaking wisdom into our lives. Wise men and William evaluate their experience. They learn lessons and they apply them. As learners, they regularly humble themselves. They own their own mistakes. They look for ways to do better. Wise people accept their weaknesses. They avoid defensiveness. They shun excuses and they model transparency. More about them. We're going to talk more about the wise next week of what does it really mean to walk on this way of wisdom and to pursue wisdom in this kind of way. Now these, and now I'm going to talk about the, the next three, the, the three main characters on the path of folly. The simple, the foolish, and the evil. Now you might think this is an oversimplification, and maybe it is, and I apologize if it is, but we're going to talk about those three categories. And there's other people we see on the path of folly, certainly. We see... Um, the sluggard, we see the adulteress, we see many other voices coming in, but they all kind of typically fall into one of these three categories as it has kind of set us up for and gave us a title here in verse 22, the simple, the fool, and the evil. First, a simple person. Again, we talked about this a little last week. These people are basically just young and ignorant. In 2014, there was a quarterback for Florida State named Jameis Winston. You remember, you've ever heard of him? If anybody's a sports fan, you've heard of him. He plays for uh, Tampa Bay now. In 2014, he went into a public supermarket and it was a big drama because he stole several pounds of crab legs. Um, this guy's very simple, very stupid is what you would say. You cannot, I don't care who you are, go into supermarkets and steal things, right? And you say, Luke, that is so rude for you to call him stupid. Well, he calls himself that. In his response to the media, he said, in a moment, quoting here, of youthful ignorance, I walked out of the store without paying for my crab legs. That's a stupid person. I've been to a lot of supermarkets, supermarkets, and maybe I've forgotten to pay for a pack of gum that somehow ended up in my buggy. I never forgot to pay for crab legs. Um, this is a stupid person. And here's the other thing. This is a little offensive in today's culture. We're so PC. How dare you call them stupid? Well, that's what Proverbs actually calls them. God, God calls the youthful. Sometimes we're really stupid. And we could all get up and tell stories of some of the very stupid things that we have done, okay? And sometimes we need to hear this loving rebuke coming to us and saying, listen, you're just kind of stupid here, man. You got you to grow up. You got you to wise up. These people are basically just young and ignorant, They're defined by how gullible they are. Chapter 14, verse 15 says, The simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. This is like your kids. You can tell them anything you want to, and they just all of a sudden believe it. They don't pick up on sarcasm very well. You know, they're like, you know, what what has happened? We We were headed to Ashley's brother's last year for Christmas. And he has some things going on at work, and he calls in, and he cancels Christmas. And so Ashley says, hey, listen, Christmas has been canceled. She's meaning the, the activity that we're going to have at her brother's house. Ellie just jaw drops. Christmas is canceled? Like, what is going on here? Well, she's just simple, right? She just doesn't, she just doesn't understand a little sarcasm in the context of which it is said. And these are the simple people, and often we fit in this category. The simple are the young They're the inexperienced. They're those that haven't sought out wisdom. They haven't learned the hard way. They're the simple. And I want you to see the contrast here. Even in that verse, the simple believe everything, but the prudent, talking about the wise again, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Do you see the contrast? The simple are the opposite of the prudent. The simple don't want to think about consequences or the path they're on or where this might take them in the end. They just want to have fun for now. For them, it's all about the here and the now. If this feels good, then you should do it. I remember at college, I didn't have to study a lot when I was in high school. I went away to college, and I remember just having all this freedom. Like, we would go to Taco Bell at 2 a.m. Like, that would ruin my entire week now. If I did that at 2 a.m., like, I'd just have to call it in for the week. I can't believe uh, Taco Bell's open at 2 a.m., but I'd go get a gordita crunch at Taco Bell at 2 a.m., and, and it, 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 would, it, would, it would not phase me. So they also had this allure 
in, uh, when I was in college of a uh, ping pong table in the student center. And uh, again, we'd be playing ping pong. It'd be time to go to class. I'd be like, eh, you know, why do we need class? I didn't have to study a lot in high school. Well, that first semester, I got a, um, a 1.9 uh, GPA, lost my academic scholarship. I was in trouble. So I buckled down that second semester and got a 1.8. I actually went down. The ping pong, um, the ping pong had me. In my mind, my motto, even at that time, with all the wisdom my parents had given me and all the stuff I had learned reading through Scripture, it was, for me, it was about the here and now. What do I want to do? I don't even want to, I don't want to think about what the consequences are. I don't care where this path of life goes. I just want what's, what's what I want. And this is kind of the motto that kind of hovers over the millennial generation even now. I just want to do, I just want to do me. I just want to, I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's just kind of the motto. And if we're not careful, we'll let that seep into us. And that is so anti-Christian. Anti-Christian, that's what Jesus said. Hey, if you want to follow me, it's not about you, buddy. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up this object of execution so you can understand this is not about you. In Proverbs 7, we see the wise father talking to the son, trying to get him to beware of the adulterous woman. It says in verse 5, to keep you from the forbidden woman and the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I've looked through my lattice. He's looking through the window. And I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youth, a young man lacking sense. A young man lacking sense. This is the simple. They just lack sense sense. I feel like this is probably most dangerous when you're a junior, senior, freshman in college because now you have the freedom and you have the resources to really jack up your life. You still lack sense. You still haven't learned. When you watch these people walk through life, it's like watching a bad horror movie. You see these people walking into the room with the man that has a chainsaw in the dark, alone. Like, why would you ever, ever, ever do that? And you're screaming at the TV, maybe like I am. Don't go in there. This is like watching the simple walk through life. In their own pride, they think they have it all figured out. You've walked this way, maybe, and you've hurt yourself. You've seen the damaging effects it's causing your life, and you're screaming out at the TV. You're screaming out to the simple, listen here, this is important. Please, please don't go down that path. I've been down that path. I still have the scars on my body to show you what this path brings. Please go, don't go down it. But most of the time, they don't listen. When it comes to reality, these people, the simple, they never think about it. They don't know or they don't care that there's a way things that work. Or they think they're an exception to the rule. Oh, that's a big one. You see that with the simple a lot, that I'm an exception. Everyone else at this college has to go to class, but not me. I can just play ping pong all morning and just think I'm going to do okay. They sow seeds of foolishness and hope the harvest never comes. When people approach them to give advice, they blow it off or they think maybe it would apply to others. Andy Stanley wrote a book about this called The Principle of the Path. I encourage you to read it. It's a pretty quick read. In it, he shares a story of him and Louis Giglio. They were college roommates going on a trip together. And they were trying to make it home from Birmingham back to Atlanta, I think. And they're trying to get there as quick as they can get there. And they come up to us uh, before I-20 was finished between, uh, between Birmingham and there. And they, they thought, well, we'll just go ahead and it looks fine. They went around the road signs, the big detour signs. They get up on I-20 and they start just cruising down. He said, 30 minutes into the drive, it's a little eerie. There's no one else on the road. There's, you know, we're just, this is like the best shortcut ever. No one knows. Maybe they don't have the little, the little, you know, the lights and the, the reflectors in the middle. I don't know if they haven't painted it, but this is perfect road. So they go faster and faster and faster. And they look down at their, uh, Andy's the one who's driving. He said, I look down at speedometer. I'm going, you know, 85 on this highway. It's just in perfect condition. He says, it gets even eerier the darker it got. Complete cover of night. It's about 11.30 a.m. And they pass someone on the side of the road. And they thought it may have been a cop. They slow down at appropriate speed. The car pulls out just right behind them. Goes in front of them about half a mile. And turns his car sideways in the middle of the road. Gets out and starts waving them down. 
And he says, we didn't even want to stop. We thought this guy's, you know, a lunatic. You know, we're not stopping. We're in the middle of darkness. We don't know who this guy is. He could be one of those guys in the horror movies for everything we know. Finally, they, the guy was waving with such persistence, they stopped down. And the guy said, hey, listen, they haven't finished the bridge. It's a quarter mile up the road. It's a bridge covering the swamp. If you keep going, it's your impending death. And he tells that story as a way to illustrate how simple people think. That the signs just don't mean anything to them. That they must, they must apply to someone else and not to us. These are the simple. More to talk about them as, as we go through. The second group is the foolish. It says in Proverbs 14.3, A fool's mouth lashes out with pride. But the lips of the wise protect them. Lashes out with pride. You don't have to talk to them long before they start making all these prideful comments of what they've accomplished or what they've, what they've got. I used to know a guy like this I went to church with, multimillionaire. You'd get with him and he said, you know what, I don't even like to talk about money. I just don't even care to talk about money. And for the next 30 minutes, he would talk about all the money he's got. Every time I was with him, hey, you know what, you know, I'm not like a lot of the rich people. Look, I don't even care to talk about money. Have you seen my jet? Have you seen this jet that I fly city to city? You're like, okay, you don't like to talk about money. You don't have to talk to a fool very long before pride starts dripping out. They're just proud. They think they know it all. They have it all. They don't need you. A fool is someone who does almost the opposite of the wise person in almost every situation. The simple may be ignorant, but the foolish knows what's coming but just doesn't care. Fools don't listen or learn from their mistakes. They're full of blame and excuses. A fool, has, a fool hates knowledge, it says in, 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 in chapter 122. Takes no pleasure in understanding, chapter 18, verse 2. They defend themselves and their ideas even when they're not attacked. Proverbs 26, 11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. They continue doing the same things over and over and over again that ultimately leads to their destruction, Proverbs 18, 7 says. Fools are unteachable. They have very low empathy. They don't care about other people's pain. Many times the fool will cause pain intentionally. Now the ignorant, they're the ones that go through and leave a trail of hurt behind them and they just don't even understand exactly what they're doing. But a fool says in his heart, these people are here for me to use and abuse to get my position in life further along the way. There's a lot of collateral damage with foolish people. They're always hurting other people and then they're blaming it on other things. They're very irresponsible. They almost always see themselves as a victim. They fight with reality and they want it to adjust to them. They're always blaming other people for their problems. Well, this is my parents' fault for the way I was raised. Or, man, this is my boss's fault for he just doesn't understand. Or this is my wife's fault or my husband's fault or my kid's fault. It's everyone else's fault when it comes to a fool, never theirs. And they take that mindset into every relationship and they just leave a wave of destruction. Proverbs 27, 12 says, The sensible see danger and take cover. The foolish keep going and are punished. The foolish hear the voice of the man that stopped any of them on the road. Hey, the bridge out there. And the foolish say, you know what? I don't care about that. Those rules don't apply to me. I'm just going to keep going. This guy's trying to stop me from having fun. This guy's trying to stop me from actually accomplishing something in life. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. The foolish keep going and are punished. Ultimately, the fool wants other people to change for them. How does a fool respond when you approach them with wisdom or a loving rebuke? Most of the time, they shoot the messenger. Most of the time. I can't tell you how many coffees I've had with people in just the last seven years of Covenant Church with this very same thing. Hey, hey, bud, I see you going down this real dangerous path. And I've seen other people go down, or maybe I've gone down it myself, and I just want you to pull up because there's destruction coming. You know how they normally respond to that? They sit back in their coffee, in the chair, sipping their coffee. How dare you say that to me? Who do you think you are? At that moment, I know in my heart, man, this is a foolish person. Proverbs says to argue with a fool is like spitting in the wind. 
Again, 26.11, it says, Like a dog returns to his vomit is a fool who continually repeats his folly. It's dangerous to be a fool because everyone around you gets hurt. Everyone. You're the husband. You're not leading your family spiritually. You're not, you don't have a vision for your family, where you're going. You're not setting some guidelines and some boundaries. Your whole family's getting hurt. You're driving the car as fast as you can towards the bridge that's out, and you don't care. And you might make that decision for yourself, but the rest of your family and your kids and your neighbors and the mission of God and the testimony of our Lord all sits with you when you're walking this way of foolishness. It is so dangerous. But they'll never hear it. Like a dog returns to his vomit, they just keep going back and back and back. They're just foolish. How do you deal with simple people? You just educate them. A lot of patience, a lot of grace, a lot of direct steps. Just walk with them. You invite them into a discipleship relationship. How do you deal with foolish people? You need boundaries and consequences. Boundaries and consequences. Because with foolish people, they're going to blame it on someone else. They're not going to learn. And they're going to keep taking this wrecking havoc on everything they come in. So you, it's not that you don't love them and care for them and want to see them grow. You do. But you deal with them different than a person who's teachable with boundaries and consequences. Over the years, I've had people come sit with me and say, well, Luke, this is the problem I'm having and this is what I want to do. And I would say, well, okay, here's three things I'd like you to start doing. I'd like you to start getting your word every day. I'd like you to start praying with your wife every night. I'd like you to start attending, the, attending huddle. And maybe would even encourage them to go to a real counseling session. Like, you know, here's, here's the counselor we use. Listen, the money's not even an excuse. The church will cover the first couple. I don't want you to give me that excuse. And when you've done that, I want you to come back. And let's talk about it again. And they, they'll, they'll come back a week or two later. They'll meet me here on a Sunday and say, hey, Luke, I, I want to sit down and have coffee with you again. I'll be like, that's great. I'd love to do that. Have you done the things I've asked you to do? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying with your wife? Have you been in huddle? Have you seen a counselor? course the foolish person quick comes the excuses oh but pastor you don't know about my life it's been crazy I've had deadlines and my wife doesn't like to pray and I can't afford the counselor say sorry but we can't sit down this week but I'd love to sit down with you but I want you to I want you to take some steps that's boundaries and consequences that's how you deal with foolish people finally evil people evil people are dangerous They're just dangerous. Proverbs 24.1 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Unfortunately, there are people in this world who are just plain evil. I've grown up in the church my whole life, and I've seen a lot of these people embedded in the church. Whether they're believers or not, I don't know. But I do know that Satan can use people who are believers who've chosen to walk against wisdom for a season to really, again, bring, bring great damage to the local church. Proverbs sometimes, sometimes calls them scoffers. Sometimes it calls them fools. Evil people are corrupt. Their ways are vile. They're very dangerous people to be around. Psalms 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart that there is no God. These people are corrupt and they do abominable deeds and there is none who does good. Again, it says in Psalms 14. I put a list, just as, and this is not a comprehensive list. This is just where I got the screen full and I stopped of what Proverbs says about evil people or scoffers. Proverbs 10.23 says they enjoy wicked schemes. Proverbs 12.23, they proclaim folly. In 15.5, they spurn a parent's disciplines. They speak perversely, chapter 19, verse 1. They're quick-tempered. They get themselves in trouble with proud speech. They mock at sin, that they're deceitful. Isaiah 32 says, fools speak of foolishness, and they make evil plans. The ultimate description of an evil person is one, again, who says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile, and there is no one of them that do good. Henry Cloud writes about these people, these evil people, the scoffers, in his book, Necessary Endings. He says, here's how you deal with evil people, through lawyers, money, and guns. 
Lawyers, money, and gun. He makes no bones about it. Evil people want to hurt you, to destroy you and your family and your business and your church. Your goal with evil people is protection. You're not going to talk them into, into or out of anything. God wants to redeem them. Yes, he does. And he may invite you to be a part of that at some point. But until he specifically directs, be very, very careful with people who have dark hearts and evil motives. Evil people love power and control. They love to hurt anyone who gets in their way. They get pleasure of, of, of hurting others. Many of them, this is what I've seen, many evil people, they can look back at a time in their life where they used to be loving, but someone hurt them. They let that hurt turn into unforgiveness, and unforgiveness turn into bitterness, and bitterness wrecked their life. And now because they are so hurt, so down deep beneath the surface, all they do is just hurt other people. And a lot of them don't even know that they're hurting people in this way. Most people that I've dealt with that fit into this category of evil, yes, there is so much hope for them. And yes, the gospel can change them in their heart in a radical way. We see this with the Apostle Paul. There was not a more evil person than Paul. He made it his aim to, to wreck the early church, to track them down, to find any excuse that he could imprison them, ultimately killing them, standing aside for the first martyr with Stephen. There's the, there's the Saul that would be the Paul. There is hope for evil people. Yes, there is. But you've got to be careful. Most of them, again, trace their hurt. If they want to, if they're on the road to healing, they can look back at a parent or an abuse or a teacher or a friend that hurt them and they never dealt with that unforgiveness. And they just let it grow and they let it fester and it became nasty. And eventually they walked off the way of wisdom. Evil people feel entitled as if the whole world revolves around them. They work mostly through threats and manipulation and fear. Just like the bully in middle school, but now they're 35 and they have some resources that they can bring devastation to places that they want to. A lot of evil people hide behind Facebook or Twitter feeds. They love to bring division. Paul warns Titus of people who bring such division, these evil people, in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. He said, if people are causing divisions among you, this is Paul, the expert missionary now, radically changed, knows kind of how his life used to be. Give a first a warning and then a second, and after that have nothing to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. You say, man, Luke, that is harsh. That's just real. There are people out here who's they're bent on destroying other people. Got just a few minutes left. Let me wrap up with this. The gospel is in this chapter 1 2, and maybe you missed it. It's, start with me in verse 20. I don't think I have all this on the screen. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, and in the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city, she's speaking, addressing these groups. How long, O oh, simple, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Verse 23, but if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. Most of them don't turn, it says in verse 24, but because I've called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, then I will laugh at your calamity, and I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm. Skip down to verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Last verse, verse 33 of chapter 1. But whoever listens to me dwells secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I said last week when we see the way of wisdom, we see the way of Christ. 
when we see the Father crying out to the Son to walk the way of wisdom, we hear God the Father calling out to us. There's a way that I've, uh, that I've made the world to work, and I need you to walk in wisdom. I, I alluded to this last week. Bear with me just a second. Flip over to chapter 30. This is the words of Agur. He takes the first few verses and talks about how he's been chasing down wisdom with everything that he has. He says in verse 2, Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Then he asks this question. Again, this is pointing directly to Jesus in verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind of his, in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what's his son's name? Jesus refers to this when he's talking with Nicodemus because we don't have to wonder what wisdom is. We see it in the person of Jesus. And just as, uh, just as wisdom is standing in the streets, calling out, raising her voice, saying, hey, come and walk the way of wisdom. We get to participate in that because Jesus said the same thing. He said, listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you would come and follow me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We see these promises of God, of Jesus saying, come and follow me. This is the way of wisdom. This is the way of life. And that is the same message that Jesus is calling out to us even today. Hey, come walk the way of wisdom. Come and follow me. And a lot of people refuse. And they're facing destruction because of it. I love this idea that we get to be an echo of wisdom to our world. We get to tell our kids, hey kids, I know you think you know it all. And even your parents, we don't know it all. You know, we, we point them to Christ. We're an echo of the voice of wisdom. Hey, go and follow Jesus. We're an echo of it in our homes. We're an echo of it in our workplaces. We're an echo, echo of it in our neighborhood. We've been planted there to be the voice of wisdom to a dark world that's following their own devices and doing what feels good and not thinking about the consequences. But we as believers, we do believe in a literal hell. And the people separated from Jesus will spend eternity there. The mission of God is so big. How can we not, how can we not have fervor to follow Jesus in there and there be an echo of wisdom with the way we live and with our voices? This is not time to play games, church. This is not time to piddle in this and that and do, if, do what's right if it feels right, if it feels good. We've got to reorient our life around this. And for those of us that have been on the way of folly for a long time, either as simple or foolish or evil, wisdom is still calling out. Wisdom is still saying, if you turn at my reproof, if you listen to me, you will dwell secure. You'll have peace. We pray for us as church, and we're going to take communion in just a minute, but... I want to give you a few minutes right where you are. And again, this is not a, this is not a time to goof around. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to clearly tell you which path you're on, a path of wisdom or folly? Just because you're a believer and you've trusted Jesus at some point in your past, doesn't mean that you haven't, for some reason, got on this path of folly and you're walking toward destruction. See, wisdom is something that has to be pursued. The way of wisdom we find in the words of Jesus. How arrogant is it of us to go day to day without thinking, I need God's word today. I need the way of wisdom today. more concerned with Twitter feeds and breaking news than what the eternal word of God says about life and the way we should live it. Father, my prayer is that you would break our hearts for our arrogance. We live in the West. And we think we've got everything figured out. 
We feel comfortable because of our bank accounts and emergency rooms right down the road, and we've just got everything just together. And because of that, we grow arrogant thinking that we can just live our life the way we want to live it. Lord, I pray for a wake-up call. Lord, that you would send someone speeding past us on this interstate that has no bridge, waving at us with all of his might, saying, Stop! You're headed towards destruction. And Lord, that we would be receptive to that. Or that the posture of our heart would be one towards, just like you, that we would be humble. We would know our identity as sons and daughters. And that wouldn't make us proud. No, that would just further the depth of our humility. Because this is not something that we earned, but your grace. Lord, as we take communion, Lord, wouldn't that be a great reminder to us that eternal life comes through death? You even told us that unless a seed dies, it won't bring forth fruit. Help us to willingly and with joyful obedience live our lives as a living sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for the work you're doing in and among us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. We don't have to look far for wisdom. Holy Spirit in there guiding us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Communion is uh, available. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. You do have to be a member of God's family, though. Scripture says this is for those who are believers and choose to walk in the ways of obedience. It also says to come with a clear conscience. So I want you to take as long as you need and when you're ready. and Confess uh, sin to God. You don't have to confess it to me. Just you do business with God there and you come and participate. I will be in the back if you'd just like me to pray with you. <clears throat> Maybe you keep finding yourself on this path of folly and you just want to say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. It would be an honor to do that. You come and you're ready and then we're going to join together in singing in just a few moments, thanking our great God for what he's done for us. Come and you're ready.